Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to thank you today for joining us again on the program. I trust that you have been blessed by uh, the previous weeks that we've shared. We've been in a series now for, I don't know, uh, it's been a number of weeks, I think 14, 15 weeks at least, uh, where we've been sharing from the book of Revelation, and I've been sharing some things from uh, one of the recent books that I wrote. I wrote a book in 2007 titled The Revelation of Jesus Christ, and I'm certain there'll be information on the screen before the program is over uh, where you can order a copy of this book if you'd like to, to follow along with our studies. Uh, I believe it'll really bless you. Uh, One of the things that I I, want to say as well is that uh, if you have not been able to tune in on a weekly basis, and you've missed some of the programs, you can go back on YouTube and watch our programs. Uh, There are a whole host of them on YouTube. You can also uh, watch them uh, on the uh, TBN app. I think sometimes they archive some of the programs. So you can literally go back and study these anytime you would like to. And I think that one of the things that uh, is happening all across the country in different locations is uh, there are several churches that are taking like one 30-minute segment of our program and pulling it down in their Wednesday night uh, Bible study and sharing these things in their Wednesday night uh, uh, Bible study groups or in their home groups, and we encourage you to do that. We're, you're welcome to do that, and I, I think you'll be blessed by it. Uh, what we're trying to do, especially from the viewpoint of the book of Revelation that we share, is that we've already introduced this a long time ago, but just by way of review, just a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, back many years ago, this has been really a lifelong study and quest for me uh, as the Lord has continued to unfold and reveal to me things about the book of Revelation. Uh, I, I'm certain that there are things that will change as we go on, and we really, our posture and position with sharing what we do from the book of Revelation is really not to fight anybody else except to tell you this is what we believe God shared with us and then uh, you have the human prerogative to eat the grapes and spit out the seeds, so to speak. And uh, if they witness to your heart, then, then embrace them. If they don't, then shrug your shoulders and just say, well, I just didn't, I just didn't understand it. But uh, my, my, my approach to this book was simply from the viewpoint uh, that once again, uh, he writes this as a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, he starts out by saying the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, The key thought to me, again, is that this book is not a book about a revelation of bugs as big as Volkswagens coming, Godzilla monsters coming up out of the ocean, uh, world events and catastrophes. And let me say that uh, some of those things are in this book of Revelation. But the key focus of this book is that this book is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, One of the things that really catches my attention when I say that is that the word revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis or uh, that we translate apocalypse. Now, let me say to you that what happens is we let Hollywood interpret what this word apocalypse means. We think it means bombs bursting in air or uh, undescribable catastrophes. This word apocalypse literally means to uncover what has been hidden or to literally to pull back the veil, to unveil. So this is an unveiling, uh, not of simple world events, but an unveiling of Jesus Christ. So if we don't walk away from the book of Revelation, with a revelation of Jesus to us. We will never walk away with it 
uh, with a revelation of Jesus through us. Because I believe with everything that's in my heart that a revelation of Jesus to you will produce a revelation of Jesus through you. And if the other 65 books of the Bible are about him and the uh, uh, volume of the book, it is written of him, why not preach Jesus from this book? And so that's our position on it. And so uh, one of the things that we, we've been sharing again is that especially in the first segments, and this book that I wrote called The Revelation of Jesus is primarily dealing with the first five chapters of the book of Revelation because it's dealing with a church in transition. You say, what do you mean by that, Dr. House? Well, the, the, uh, the church, first of all, is in transition from an old covenant mentality to a new covenant mentality. Uh, you say, well, uh, h- h- how do you get that? Well, first of all, the book of Revelation in the very first uh, chapter tells us uh, that these things that are, he tells them that these things are about to shortly come to pass. He tells them the time is at hand. And he tells them in the very first chapter that all of this, that, that, you know, that he sets really kind of a context here. And he tells them, you know, that these things are about to shortly come to pass. He tells them in the first chapter, they which pierced me will look upon me. So this book was written, first of all, to seven churches that were really in Asia. This first century church, I mean, it's kind of like, to me, it's a no-brainer, but it's like Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, then that, that, that letter was written to a church at Ephesus. Although it has some relevance to us, it was written for me, but not necessarily to me. And that's the case with these churches in the book of Revelation. And so these were the first churches to be able to make a transition. And I believe they were making a transition out of an old covenant into a new covenant. One of the things that uh, I, I want to share, uh, particularly in this segment, is that, you know, uh, even, even the terminology, let's say, even the terminology, the church. When you go back and study the term church, it is a Greek word, ecclesia, it literally means the called out ones. The first usage of the word church, one of the first usages of the word church, is when the scripture would call the children of Israel as they journeyed from Egypt and into the promised land, it called them the church in the wilderness. And the reason it called them the church in the wilderness was because they were the called out ones. They were called out of a Egyptian bondage of slavery and servitude, and they were carried away uh, out of that into a wilderness and then ultimately into a promised land. There was a 40-year wilderness camping trip that the children of Israel were in. And that that wilderness journey was literally uh, to get them to lose a slave's mentality and a bondage mentality and come into, uh, if you would, a promised land. Now, I want to say to you that in the Old Covenant, and we've covered some of this, but it's worth reviewing somewhat. But in the Old Covenant, the promised land was a piece of real estate. In the New Covenant, the promised land, according to Hebrews, the fourth chapter, is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And Paul beseeches them in Hebrews 4. He tells them, and I'm just going to turn over there, I think, and go ahead and read that for you so you can kind of get a feel of it. It says, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest any of you would seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, 
not being watched this mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest uh, the seventh day from all of his works, and in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. Seeing therefore it remains that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limits a certain day, saying in David today, after so long a time, as it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus, literally this is a Hebrew word meaning Joshua, if Joshua had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest to the people of God, for he that is entered into his rest also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Now, uh, the gospel was first preached, it's talking in the context here, Hebrews 3 and 4 is talking about the children of Israel uh, having heard and seen the gospel preached and they did not mix it with faith. You say, well, how did they hear the gospel preached? Well, they heard the gospel preached at least in type and shadow because when the lamb was taken out from among the sheep and the goats, blood was put on the doorpost of the heart, I'm sorry, of their houses. The gospel was preached. When manna fell in the backyard, the gospel was preached. Because as things pictured Christ, when the serpent was lifted up on the pole, the gospel was preached. Now, they came out of a physical slavery, a bondage, under Egyptian slave masters, and Moses led them out of the wilderness, out into the wilderness, out of that bondage, and he brought them out, and, and then ultimately Joshua brought them into the promised land. Now, uh, Paul the Apostle says also in the book of Corinthians, he says to the Corinthian church, he says, all of these things happened to them, talking about the children of Israel, all of these things, talking about the wilderness journey again, the context there would be that, and he says, happened to them as examples. All, everything that happened to them under Moses happened to them as examples for us upon whom the end of the world has come, Paul writes to the Corinthian church. Uh, that's one of my favorite end of the world scriptures because he's calling that period of time the end of the world. The correct translation for world there is the, the Greek word for eon or age. Uh, he's saying to them, uh, all of these things happened as examples for us upon whom the end of the age had come. The end of the age had come upon, literally, uh, had come upon uh, that particular time slot again when these churches were written. It was the end of the age of the law. Not the end of this age, but the end of the age of the law. It would help you a great deal to in the context of reading these scriptures so many times, when you see especially end of the world scriptures or last day scriptures, to not simply assume they're talking about the last days of some future age. They were talking in the context of these churches as the last days of that age or eon that was about to pass off the seed. I, that's why I believe it's such a tragedy that here we live 2,000 years into the new covenant and we don't even know that that old covenant economy has been fulfilled and passed off of the seen rolled together like a great scroll fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So here we sat wondering uh, what even what covenant we're in. I think that's tragic to me. But he, the apostle Paul was saying to the church at Corinth and he was saying to these Hebrews, 
He was saying to them, he's giving them the very examples of the wilderness journey being brought up out of Egypt into the promised land, that everything that happened to them was simply a picture, a type, and a shadow. And you say, well, what are you saying, Brother Hiles? What I'm trying to tell you is that under Moses, they saw a lamb taken out from among the sheep of the goats, blood put on the doorpost of the houses. In the new covenant, Jesus was the true lamb who came down, uh, who sacrificed his life to bring us this time, not just out of a physical bondage, but out of a spiritual bondage and into a spiritual promised land called rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. The scripture goes on to say that in Christ, watch this, all of God's promises are yes and amen. That Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of all the promises that God made to the Father. So the word promises is continually used to describe what Jesus did. He was the fulfillment of the promise that God made to the fathers. An interesting thing, and I'm probably jumping way ahead of myself here, but the 11th chapter of the book of Revelation goes on to say, Verse 8 especially, it says, Revelation 11, 8, it said, And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is called, which, which spiritually, watch this, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Now, I want you to think about this scripture. It goes on to say that their bodies lie in the street of the city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. Now, I want to ask you a question. Where was our Lord crucified? Our Lord was not crucified in Egypt or in Sodom. Our Lord was crucified in Jerusalem by a religious system that had condemned its Messiah and rejected its king, had literally crucified the owner of the vineyard, and uh, the Lord uh, by the Spirit uh, felt it necessary in the book of Revelation to make a connect a direct connection between that apostate people and that religious program that they were under, he makes a direct connection and calls it a city which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. And all of a sudden, I begin to hear something in my spirit that I had not heard, and this is really not even in this book, I just, this is fresh. But the Lord said to me, what I did was I drew a direct connection between that religious system and Egyptian bondage and slavery. Because many times when we say, well, you know, uh, we've been brought up out of the bondage of Egypt, we think in terms of the world. And I believe that's there as well. I believe there are things, if you stay with me and follow our teaching, you're going to see that what we're teaching about grace and new covenant is not giving people a license to sin. It is empowering them not to. But one of the things that we have to take note to is that the Lord makes the connection, not me, but the scriptures, that the Lord makes connection with this apostate Israel, with Jerusalem and its fallenness that literally was about to be destroyed actually in 70 AD, uh, exactly 40 years after Jesus gave the prophecy in Matthew 24 concerning the destruction of Jerusalem. It's exactly 40 years. And I think it's interesting that 40 years is the exact amount of years that the children of Israel were in wilderness wanderings under the old covenant. And in the new covenant, there was a 40 year gap from 30 AD when Jesus gives the prophecy that this generation will not pass away until everything I told you comes to pass. That what he does is he makes a direct connection with that. And uh, in 30 AD, and it is in 70 AD that, that the prophecy that Jesus gave 
came to pass that not one stone was left upon another that wasn't thrown down, and that that, uh, that, that's, that system of religion was completely dismantled. He gave them literally a generation to come out from underneath of the old covenant and all of its tyranny and all of its demands that was fully met in the work of the cross at Calvary and come into a promised land called rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I think it's a tragedy that many people still have seemingly not been able to make that transition. So what Paul was saying to the early church at Corinth is everything that happened to them under Moses was only a type and a shadow. It was an example for us upon whom the end of the age had come. And I think that's incredible that Paul would, would make that uh, declaration because it's like under the old covenant, uh, the children of Israel once again saw a woolly lamb taken out, blood put on the doorpost of the houses, lamb brought in the house. In the new covenant, we come over and Jesus says, or John the Baptist says, right there is the real Lamb of God who takes away the world. Under the old covenant, they were baptized into the sea, into Moses. In the new covenant, you and I are baptized into Christ. In the old covenant, 50 days after they left Egypt, there at the foot of Mount Sinai, God gave them the law. When God gave them the law, 3,000 people dropped dead. In the new covenant, exactly 50 days after Jesus, the true Lamb of God, is crucified, uh, they uh, are in an upper room and God gives them the Holy Spirit. So that the Holy Spirit is to the new covenant what the law was to the old covenant. See, the, the reality of it is, is that uh, it, we're not lawless. Uh, in the new covenant, we are under a new law of the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We are no longer governed by the rules of a mosaic system, but we are, however, governed by the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God is now the government that is in place to govern the life of the believer. The present reigning Jesus is king in my heart. Now, let me go on to say that not only did they come to uh, 50 days later, they came to Mount Sinai. They, they were in a wilderness journey and the, Jesus quotes this. He says, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they're dead. But I am the true bread that came down from heaven. So Jesus makes a direct connection and said, that was the type and shadow. I'm the substance. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. Uh, that if a man eat this bread, uh, he'll live. Uh, the Bible goes on to say that the children of Israel, he warned them in Corinth. And he said to them, uh, don't fall after the same example of their unbelief, that they murmured. And when they murmured, serpents came among them. And, uh, you know, uh, that's a powerful thought in itself and is worthy of a program of its own. Because if you murmur, it creates an environment for snakes to operate. Complaint and murmuring creates an environment for serpent to come among us. If you want to see demonic activity, just start complaining. If you want to see God move, just start praising and giving Him thanks. But the reality of it is, is that He says to them, don't fall after the same example of unbelief because they murmured and serpents came among them. But under the old covenant, Moses lifted up a serpent because God told him, if you'll take a serpent, put it on a pole, and hold it up before the people. He said, well, if they'll look, they'll live. Jesus himself gets a hold of that and says this, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This spake he concerning what death he would die. But he makes a direct correlation to the serpent on the pole. I submit to you, if you're watching me today, that if you'll look, you'll live. In other words, if you'll get a revelation of what Jesus did in his death, burial, and resurrection, it's going to 
free you from the uh, bite of the serpent. I'm really trying to get over into the book of, uh, uh, into this book and talk about the church at Thyatira, which means literally the, the word Thyatira itself literally means the, the, the incense of suffering. And so Christ uh, in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, was offered to God as a sweet smelling savor and an incense offering to God. So what the book, uh, what, what the message to the church at Thyatira is, is get a revelation of what the suffering of Jesus produced and not what your suffering produces. So all of these things were pictures for them so that they could make the transition out of an old covenant again into the new covenant. That's why it's called the church. And so everything that happened to them, the manna that fell in the backyard, Jesus himself again says this. He said, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they're dead. But I am the true bread that came down from heaven that if a man will eat this bread, he'll live. So everything that they saw by type and shadow, Jesus became the fulfillment of it in the new covenant. And this time he was not leading them out of a physical bondage. He was leading them out of a spiritual bondage of law and out from underneath of the mosaic system and that revelation. And when he calls it the church, it's because the church was in transition out of that city, which was spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. And I can make a direct connection as well with the city of Sodom because I'm convinced that uh, when, when the Lord first of all came down to Abraham and said, I'm going to go down to Sodom and, uh, and I'm going to destroy the city, uh, I, I first want to say to you that I believe that when God was on his way to Sodom and Gomorrah, he was not on a sin hunt, he was on a righteousness hunt. Because the, the scripture says that Abraham said, God, if you could find 50 righteous would you destroy the city? God said, if I could find 50 righteous, I'll spare it. He said, if you could find 40, would you spare it? He said, I'd spare it for 40. He said, if you found 30, and, and he negotiates it down to 10. I think he quit way too soon because 10 is a number, number that symbolizes law. There were 10 commandments and 10 is the number of law. And I think uh, what Abraham did was he negotiated, stopped negotiating too soon because God said, if I can find 10 righteous men, I'll spare the city. I submit to you that God was not looking for 10 righteous men in the new covenant. He's looking for the righteousness of just one man. And that one man is Jesus Christ. And you and I have a righteousness that's based not on our performance, but based on what Jesus did in his death, burial, and resurrection. So, you know, and I, I hear the Spirit kind of say to me, again, I drew a direct connection, not only to bringing you up out of Egypt, which is religious bondage, but I, I, I drew a direct connection with that city again in Revelation 11, verse 8, their dead bodies lied in the street of the city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. So you say, well, how, how do you connect that to Sodom? Because the Lord sees the perversion of the gospel. The mixture of law and grace is as much of a perversion as we'd like to throw back on Sodom and on Egypt. And so I believe that he was talking about this people. As a matter of fact, he says, Jesus, when he was walking the earth preaching uh, in Jerusalem, he said, it would be better for you, or it'll be better for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than it will be for you, because if they would have seen the miracles that you saw, they would have repented long ago. So the Lord draws a direct connection again to that apostate people, this religious system that was absolutely bankrupt and failed, 
He's trying to bring them into a new covenant, and he's saying to them, uh, don't embrace that system. Uh, then my mind immediately goes to, and I, I know I'm all over the place here a little bit, but to Matthew 24 and Luke chapter 17 or 18, where he says to them, remember Lot's wife. And I said, well, Lord, what are you saying to me about Lot's wife? And he said, the same day that Lot went out of Sodom and Gomorrah, it rained fire and brimstone. Can I submit to you uh, that uh, he was simply saying the whole thought to me about Lot's wife is don't go back. Don't go back. First of all, I would say to someone who's watching me today who've got a revelation of the gospel of grace, there's people pressuring you to go back. I hear the Spirit of the Lord say to you, don't go back. Refuse to go back. They turned into a pillar of salt. When Lot's wife turned to go back, she turned into a pillar of salt. But Lot simply said, look, when they came out of Sodom and Gomorrah, the Bible said, and the same day that Lot came out of Sodom and Gomorrah, it rained fire and brimstone and destroyed them all. Can I submit to you that Jesus, when he gave the prophecy in Matthew 24, he told his disciples, when you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, it's time for you to, if you are in this, to, if you are Judea, flee into the mountains. In other words, you better, it's time to get out of Dodge. And I submit to you that every believer that heard Jesus prophesy that when they saw the Roman general Titus surround the city, they packed up and got out of there and they did not go back. And the day, uh, very shortly on the heels of them leaving, it literally did rain fire and brimstone and it destroyed that city and all that was in that because uh, uh, not only from the fire and the brimstone of, uh, of the cannons and the uh, weapons of Titus, the, the Roman general, but literally uh, the fire and brimstone that God literally rained out of the heavens. God was so uh, determined literally to bring us up out of an old covenant that he allowed Titus to dismantle that temple, that system, and that old covenant way so that you could not go back if you wanted to. What are you saying? I'm saying that when you come into the book of Revelation, he's dealing with churches and he's saying to them, it's time to change your mind. It's time to repent. It's time to move from an old covenant to the new covenant. And then when you see the fourth, fourth chapter open, it said, after this I saw a throne and that throne absolutely represents to me a king, the kingdom of God and the church has never mentioned after the fourth chapter, not because they were raptured out, but because they are no longer in the wilderness. They're no longer being the called out ones. They have now been brought in to the kingdom for such a time as this. So they're, they're, the, the transition that's in this early church is they're coming out so that they can be brought in. I submit to you, you and I have been brought out from underneath of the law, but we've been brought into the kingdom and we are now citizens of the kingdom. We're about to run out of time. Uh, tune in again next week at the same time. Take a moment to call the number on the screen. If you're enjoying this uh, and sow a seed into the ministry, it is what enables us to take the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of his grace around the world. Without you, it is impossible. Tell your friends about us and tune in every week. God bless you for tuning in this week. This series is about living life in the context of sonship. Jesus is recognized as a son in the River Jordan by his father. Flowing from his identity as a son, Jesus comes up out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit with incredible demonstrations of the miraculous. He introduces to his followers the new covenant idea that God is more than just an austere judge. He is our Father. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Let us awaken to our true identity and set creation free.